Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Studies meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we are always learning with one another. And Damien is up this week. Yes, so sir. what are you bringing to the table today? Absolutely. I'm excited. I have brought a piece called What's Next for Defund uh, from In These Times Magazine to the table for us today. Mm-hmm. Um, as I uh, talked about last time, um, it is free to access online uh, at the website in these times.com. And I would definitely encourage folks to read it because it was really good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the I, I enjoyed it. And so I'm super excited to chat with you about it today. The piece itself was basically like a roundtable interview um, with and sort of between five different organizers and uh, self-proclaimed police abolitionists uh, who shared some of their reflections about everything that took place in 2020 and 2021 uh, in their local communities where they're from, um, as well as in the country. And they also shared their insights about sort of where we go from here, both in terms of the work uh, that they're doing individually and locally, but also I think where they think we can go uh, where the collective we, if you will, needs to go in terms of the movement as well. And so yep. they they talk about all of that. They also talk about the state of the Democratic Party, uh, where black voters are and what sort of they need and believe in, the future of defund the police. Um, and, and really it sort of ends with this idea of, I think it's called 2022 and beyond, right? Mm-hmm. So again, where we need to go. And so, yeah, I... I thought this was really insightful, uh, insightful interview uh, and conversation and uh, by these folks. And I I feel like I learned a lot from them and their experiences and um, it informed a lot for me about sort of what work I think I want to be doing and need to be doing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you about it, my friend. Where do you want to start? Well, I agree. I think this is a great conversation from a bunch of really – uh, insightful organizers yeah. who are doing some really great work uh, in a variety of places across the country. Right, there are a couple of folks from Minneapolis, somebody from Austin. Um, they talked about some work that was done in D.C. Yep, um, and also Somerville, which is right outside Boston. Yep. Um, so it was really great to see the different ways that they are applying this strategy of defund the police in their work. Yeah, uh, in all of these different kinds of places, uh, and the way that their visions. Uh, are overlapping and interconnected Mm -hmm. um, and just like slightly different, right? Um, Sort of Venn diagram, like a fancy Venn diagram of five different people talking about their vision for what this looks like. Um, And one of the things, you know, you talked about all the, the, a list of stuff they talked about from democratic party and and all this stuff. Uh, One of the things that stuck out to me that I wanted to name real quick was um, about the democratic party and how, you know, there's a lot of talk about how the radicals in the Democratic Party cost them seats and stuff right. and um, defund the police is a losing strategy. And um, it's all if you think about it, it's all ridiculous because none of the mainstream Democrats ran on that platform. Right. Exactly. Especially in the Senate um, where they all sort of seem to be 
against that kind of strategy. So right. um, it's it's uh, it's all nonsense that, that this is something that has um, consistently happened. And I said that last week too. Like yeah. nobody got defunded really last year. Like aside from a couple of small examples here and there, um, there's no like mass defunding happening across uh, the country. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think they were, they didn't sort of hold back in talking yep. about the Democratic yeah, yeah. Party sort of in that section and um, really sort of trying to name exactly what you just said sort of, you know, clearly, right? That mm -hmm. this did not cost the Democratic Party, right? And um, we've got to, and sort of, uh, there was someone who encouraged folks to run as independents, right? And sort of yeah. figure out new strategies and figure out ways in which, you know, politics can serve us and serve the people, right? Because um, sort of in many of their views, the the Democratic Party as it stands right now ain't it, Yeah, right? Not, not doing the work. That not doing the work. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I that sort of end part when they talked about the Democratic Party and all of those, uh, those other various facets of their work uh, was really sort of fascinating and illuminating for me too. So yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I sort of take that with the whole thing, right? Like, yeah. I think it's sort of a general reaction. It was amazing just to read about all of the incredible work that these folks and their their comrades and these organizations that they're a part of and in the cities that they're in, all the work that they did um, in 2020 and 2021. And I think it was sort of impressive just to see it all in print and to think about like the, the impact or the totality of their efforts, right? And so um, Candace Montgomery, who is an organizer, one of the folks from Minneapolis that you mentioned, um, works with both the Movement for Black Lives nationally, but also an organization called Black Visions. Um, and she talked about what folks did, particularly young black and brown folks, right, to sort of fight for systemic changes to the ways that police departments hold power yep. and for changes to how resources are used for public safety. Mm -hmm. um, and the work that they did to get questions two and three onto the November 2021 ballot. And if some folks may not know about this, right? So question two was about working to initiate some major structural changes to the Minneapolis Police Department, which ultimately was a failed vote. Um, but question three was a ballot measure to allow for rent control. And that one actually passed, right, which is awesome. So like to see for her to talk about sort of that movement work and organizing work, right, and to lead to these questions being on the ballot, um, I thought was amazing. There was also another example of this was some of the movement work that was shared by Willie Burnley Jr., who is uh, the one from Somerville, Massachusetts, right? So yeah. an organizer there, a city councilor there, um, and the co-founder of Defund Somerville Police Department. And he, I thought this was incredible. He highlighted sort of the work his organization did to get almost an 8% cut to the police department. And I um, had to sort of look that up. It was almost $1.3 million, yeah. like, which is huge, right? And and we know that these police departments have a, a lot of money. And, and yeah. a lot of our major cities, they have a whole lot more money than that. Um, but I just thought that that was incredible, right? Um, and so... I just kind of felt like I was saying wow a lot as I was reading and sort of, again, taking it all in from these just incredible folks, um, you know, the accomplishments and the organizing and sort of the work that has been done has been really impressive and, and you know, gave me and hopefully others some, some hope for, I think, hopefully what's to come and, and what else we can accomplish for, for justice and liberation. Yeah, I think um, one of the, 
a couple pieces of context I want to add to what you just said um, was the the questions two and three. Yeah. Um, the major structural changes to the Minneapolis Police Department. It was uh, foundationally changing the city's charter, which is yes. like a city's constitution. Right. Because it's written in the police department's written into the charter. So they're going to modify the charter to create a Department of Public uh, Safety, um, which yeah, I wanted to talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, but then the other piece that I, I think is important as a lesson is that the, the vote didn't pass, right? Like that the city charter didn't change. Right. Um, but it was 44% in favor to like yeah. 56% in favor. And 44% of people, the voters, that's a huge number. Yes. Like that's much better. You know, so there's some victories as well that they highlight throughout, yes. even though like the campaign itself was not necessarily a win. Yes. There's some victories that happened. Um, That's a really good well. point. So I wanted to point that out. And then the Somerville piece, um, the that cut to the department was in context of pandemic budget cuts. Where yes. You know, um, so the city had to consider budget cuts across a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, and so the work that they did was specifically in like, let's, let's cut, you know, let's keep some things that we know that the community needs right now Yeah. Uh, in terms of, um, so there was, there were going to be bigger cuts in other places in, in that shift. Yeah. I believe housing was one of them, right? Yeah. Like, housing and um, healthcare and yeah. something else. So it was like the public services piece, which, you know, fits a pattern of the last few decades of cutting those public services in favor of police funding. Yes. Um, and so that's, that that was sort of the context for that too, um, that I thought was uh, just I, I wanted to to yeah, add in no, there. I appreciate too. that. Um, so talking about question two, one of the pieces that stuck out to me um, from Candace Montgomery was okay. um, when she was reflecting on that campaign uh, for that that Department of Public Safety. People were basically all about right the broader concept of public safety yeah and thinking about public safety more holistically and what they were weary of um because it's hard to see what this means yes right is just firing all the police officers tomorrow yeah um and we've talked about that before here on the show is like yeah. you know abolition uh isn't isn't that at all right right um so uh yeah and and that wasn't going to be part of this plan anyway there were there were always going to be in this new department of public safety some police officers yep. um so it, it was going to be recreated essentially re-envisioned around sort of public health and public safety yes um with a small amount of police to respond to things um whatever whatever that might have been um so it wasn't you know turn around and and abolish the police tomorrow. Right. Right. In terms of that city charter. Um, but I think that's an important lesson through all this is people seem, you know, sort of ready to discuss mm -hmm. ideas around like, what does public safety actually mean? Yes. Right. And so that's an entry point into how do we get to that place? Um, and again, you know, I'll point to that. I, I don't remember the numbers, but it's like 44% of people right. voted. It was 40 favor. something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to say it was 44, 56, 44. something when you like said that. 44, that sounds right. Yeah. It's in that ballpark. Um, that's a lot of people who are in favor. Yes. Right? Um, and so that's that's something to also see as a victory. It might have even been more than that. Maybe it was 46. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the sort of what you just said and the context that you shared earlier, too, right? Because when we think about 
abolition, right? It is that piece that yeah. it isn't going to happen overnight. And they talked about, I think it was Candace talked about it. And even maybe it was Willie Burnley later when they uh-huh. talked about sort of um, taking a sort of a huge space, right? And they were going to put fire, a fire department in there, some pol- some police in there, but then also, um, you know, mental health workers, right? And folks who can respond to crises, right? And so yep. don't just take this, all this money and, and you know, <laughs> create this sort of compound of a, of a police department. That's not what we want when we're thinking about, you know, reimagining public safety and what that is. And so um, I, I absolutely appreciate that. And, and the fact that, you know, we're, there's progress here in terms yep. of sort of people's willingness to hear the idea out um, and, and consider it as something that could work in their communities. So um, I, I, yeah, I, I appreciated that. Um, and yeah, Candace, all the things that she had to say <laughs> were, were phenomenal. I want to talk yeah. a little more about her. I think, yeah. you know, she talked also about the idea of opposition um, sort of like what the notion of what it looks like and, and how it functions to sort of derail efforts for abolition, right? Yep. And so she talked about how their opposition made the co- the conversation about abolition or not. Like, that's yep. it, right? You have abolition or you don't. And so... Yeah. It's that binary. It's that binary, right? And so, and she acknowledged that that created or stoked fear in people, mm-hmm. Um who maybe weren't ready to hear it or weren't ready for it or didn't fully understand abolition, right? And so it sort of shuts you off. And and that's human nature, right? Like Mm -hmm. to sort of, they're playing into that fear that people have. Um, And so, you know, that's sort of what the opposition did there. Willie Burnley Jr. talked about, um, in his case in Somerville, they talked about how Somerville didn't need these police abolitionist measures in their town, right? Because that bad stuff that you're talking about only happens in those cities over there, right? So the Ferguson's and the New York cities, right? Um, And, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen there. And I, that's just preposterous, right? Like it absolutely happens everywhere. Um, And so, you know, I appreciated all of them talking about, opposition right and sort of what they were up against right because i think that's important to sort of know and understand you know and sort of reflect on and to think about like how do you counteract that right like how do you work how do you continue to do your work knowing that that will always be there right yeah how do you how do you adjust your strategy to acknowledge like what um it's almost to like acknowledge the what the opposition is going to exploit Yes. Um, in terms of, of what you're what you're working toward. Yeah. So that you can sort of strengthen that or or find, you know, a way to work with that um, exploitation. Yeah. It's um, sort of, yeah. Like knowing their playbook. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So so I, I, I love that. And I think uh, it was Robin Wansley Orloba, um, who was a, who is a city councilor in Minneapolis. I think she took it a step further. All right. I sort of appreciated how she talked about the importance of putting the opposition's arguments, I guess, in context of what's actually going on. Yeah. And so I'm going to quote her here. She said, I think often in these conversations and within our movement, it's about policing only. And that's also how the opposition tries to frame it. But actually, under a capitalist society, policing is only one piece. My city council campaign put question two within a socialist analysis. We have to correct the conditions under racial capitalism that cause a power imbalance and inequality that policing ends up reinforcing. 
We have to make mass investments in our public infrastructure, which we know actually, which we know actually addresses crime by stabilizing people's lives and their communities. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, if we had an air horn, it would be going off right now. Like, yeah. that's it. I think that's spot on. Yeah. Um, right? And it sort of made me think about some of the conversations we've had here, right? About this idea of the conditions that exist in people's lives and around them that lead them to where they are um, and prevent them from being able to thrive, right? And and certainly this idea of how important it is to reimagine what public safety is and what it means to get us all and keep us all safe. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, Robin was uh, spot on there, as yeah. you said, right? Um, and I think one of the other things that I really admired about her campaign that she shared um, for city councilor in Minneapolis is they created zines. Yes. Um, sort of just little public education pamphlets, really, right, that uh, they handed out that could be created or of what could be created right, uh, with the Department of Public Safety because Robin's campaign was in favor of question two and campaigning on that as a um, – a piece of of the platform uh and so it was well what what does it mean that robin supports all these things what what's what's the reality yes on the other side of that and it um it was a way to counter the narrative of the opposition right um about what these things mean yeah uh, and in my mind it, it directly counters that fear narrative that they put out um the sort of boogeyman yeah it's either this or this right um so i wonder what you know that political education kind of looks like more broadly like mm-hmm. how do we how do we engage in these conversations um a little bit more and um you know connects to my last point about people being ready to discuss public safety yes right? so how do we sort of connect these things together um to to, to find some change right? right to find some some work to find some organize organi- organizing um Right, because there's another piece about a ballot initiative in Austin about superfunding, like the police. Yes, um, that was put on, and f- folks didn't really want to do that. So, um, you know, I think that folks might be more ready to discuss and engage in these conversations around public safety and, you know, how much police are funded than uh, mainstream Democrats want us to believe. Right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, and did you say this? Like she used those, she was actually handing those out when they were canvassing too, right? Yes, like, I mean, absolutely, sort of, yeah. Door Everywhere. to door is like, this is what this means to us. Yes, right? And so yeah. there's power in that too. Um, and I, I I, love your idea of like, what does that mean sort of uh, more nationally? What does that mean sort of beyond this example? Um, how and, can we use that? Yeah, and zines have been a public education yeah. tool for organizers and, and people for decades, Yes, right? So um, it's really using a tactic um, technique that that has been around for a while um, in, in maybe a slightly new way. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. It's probably something that people have done in the past in terms of canvassing and stuff, but it's something that is um, interesting and like how do we how do we how do we do this and create political education material right. that is connected to a campaign uh, for 
that's a politician or a city counselor, yes. right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sort of, and also this idea, particularly with canvassing, I would imagine, right? Like, if I've knocked on your door, Aaron, and we're talking and we're having this conversation about this, right? I also leave you with this, right? Yeah. And so I'm talking about it. This is who I am, what I believe, and how we can reimagine public safety, right? Some of the stuff is here, and so when I'm gone, you can also you have this piece to refer to as well, right? Yeah. And sort of remember it, and hopefully talk to your family about it, right? And yeah. um, so it's absolutely a powerful tool uh, that. Um, yeah, I, I loved that piece as well. So um, another great person who was in this, right? Makia Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she shared some lessons. Um, yeah. She sort of named them as lessons, and I wanted to, to sort of amplify those. Uh, Makia Green, of course, is an organizer and co-chair of the Defund MPD Coalition, uh, just in our neck of the woods here in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she talked about a number of things. She was reflecting on sort of her work to get Janice Lewis George elected to the city council uh, in June of 2020, uh, which was huge. Right. Um, and she also reflected on everything that went down that summer and throughout the rest of the year and sort of even thinking about the impact of the presidential election and sort of all the rhetoric around that. Right. And so she said this and I'm quoting her for me, the lessons in this moment are one strike while the iron is hot context does matter. And two, run a campaign that canvases to find out is everybody really on board? Everyone's kneeling and putting out flags on their house, but are they talking to their friends? Are they really going to be down for you when it comes? And particularly that last part, like, I don't know, I, all of it really though, but I think it's just brilliant sort of insight uh, and, and a brilliant lesson that she shared with us here. Right. And, and there's certainly a lot more of it throughout the piece, but, you know, I think it's an encouragement for us and for, you know, folks who are engaged in movement work and organizing, right. Um, for everyone to sort of hear and to take to heart. Right. Um, I think there's just with, her, Makia Green, but also all of them. There's just a lot to learn from these folks, right? Yeah. Um, and sort of her framing it as lessons, you know, sort of gave me this thought, right? Um, and it absolutely makes me grateful that I was able to find this piece and we're able to amplify it and the work that these folks are doing even here on our show. Yeah, agreed. I think that um, there's another piece from Makia Green that stood out to me. Uh, uh, she said, I really think we need to push back on the way they use the stories of our community loved ah. ones who are grieving as chess pieces to get more funding. Yeah. They use black death to line the pockets of our oppressors. Yes. Um, and I think about that in all the ways that police chiefs and conservative politicians um, or mainstream Democrats for that matter, mm-hmm. use violence as a prop to justify more funding for the current system of policing. Yes. Uh, which is the system that the violence occurred in to begin with yes like that murder happened on the watch of the police force that now that we're fundraising for yeah you know make it make sense uh but we need to fund them with more taxpayer dollars to do more of the same yeah so it's um that was really a really sharp piece that that stood out to me from this conversation too yeah i I mean it's because it's fascinating we've all seen it right we've all seen you mentioned a police chief right we've seen the scene of them you know, after after a murder, after some kind of state violence, mm-hmm. right? Like, st- st- stand out boldly mm-hmm. and make that claim, right? In yeah. the in the in the days after that death and that violence has happened, and it's just it's abhorrent to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Makia Green was speaking a lot of a lot of truth and a lot of lessons here in this piece. Uh, mm-hmm. I appreciated it. All right, 
I'm going to move us on to mm-hmm. application now. And let's talk a little bit about sort of how we're connecting the dots here. So I, I feel pretty inspired by these folks, right? And uh, by their thinking about how we get to the place that we need to be in terms of police abolition, right? I think they all acknowledge that this is going to be a long-term process uh, to get us there, right? And you alluded to that earlier too, yeah. right? And I just think, I think we've got to keep saying that. And I think we've got to keep hearing that, right? Particularly as a way to get folks on all sides of the issue to the table, right? To sort of our metaphorical table here. Like, I think it helps folks like me and you, right? I think we're all in for it, right? Yeah. All right. But it helps us understand that this isn't going to happen tomorrow, right? It isn't going to happen overnight. Um, but it also helps folks who have lots of questions or even resistance to it, like come to the table to, to talk about it, right? And so I think that's certainly one application and takeaway from this interview this this conversation for me like recognizing that this is a long-term process um and all the things we talked about right like we've got to understand the opposition to that right we've got to understand their playbook right we've got to be prepared um to to talk about that right and to address it um and and uh some of these folks talk about that in this piece as well and so i think that's one thing related to that is this idea that sort of i think almost all of them talked about um, but it especially resonated with me when Makia talked about it. Um, and I think that's how we can and should engage in coalition building, right? And in conversations, engage in conversations about abolition with the folks in our lives, right? Like it, it made me think about how we're engaging in this conversation every week here at our table, right? You and I, right? And we're doing that with our friends and our comrades, but like, how do we also engage in these conversations with, you know, our acquaintances and our families and our neighbors, right? Like, particularly as we think about reimagining public safety, right? Like we have, like, we're all in these communities together with folks, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're going to build support for abolition and these ideas, you know, we have to be having these conversations with the people in our everyday lives. Yeah, I think it's about the everyday lives. It's also about uh, coalition building across sort of uh, related political campaigns. Mm. So one of the things that uh, Robin Orloba talked about um, was the possibility for question two and question three in Minneapolis yeah. to do shared canvassing yes. across uh, Minneapolis. And they didn't do it. And part of that was... opportunity, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And part of that was things beyond question two organizers control question three leadership were not really in support right or they were mixed mm-hmm. on question two and so uh you can't can't organize with people who don't want to organize or with you, right? So, right yeah um so that's fine but you know how do you build the coalition um and i'm not casting any aspersions or blame on anybody but you know what's the lesson to learn there and like how we bring people along yes especially when we realize that was a rent control ballot issue for question three mm-hmm. uh which is ultimately housing a form of of pursuing housing, housing justice, justice yeah which ultimately is connected to uh this other piece around public health and safety yes so framing that and making connections with other leaders who are pursuing things that are connected but different uh i think is is a key piece to talk about there too um 
in in terms of people being open to doing that yes and, and being open to um maybe i don't fully understand what what our different things are that we're pursuing um, but i see how that they are connected and, and we could support each other to accomplish more absolutely Brilliant. Um, and again people got to be on the same page for that people got to be open not and blaming anybody yeah. for, for the lack of that happening wherever but yes um, just something something i think that that applies here for application especially as you talk about coalition building absolutely um one of the things that i loved and saw them as an application sort of written down um <laughs> in the article is, is toward the end um that defund is what folks are saying now as the strategy uh or slogan if you will but uh, it's grounded in the history of the black radical tradition which is about yes. meeting the needs of people, especially, you know, specifically black people in this context, uh, in the time and context that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, it's about recognizing the way that funding has shifted from public services to police funding over the last several decades. And so that piece of application, I think, was very apparent to me. Yeah. Um, and how do we um, make sure that we are grounding ourselves in the history of the radical traditions in which we are organizing, um, whether that's the black radical tradition or, um, you know, a, a radical labor tradition or um, a radical, um, you know, gender tradition, wh whatever that might be. Right. So finding, yeah. finding that history and connecting and grounding yourself in the, in the work of the people who, uh, whose shoulders you're standing on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that idea I think is so powerful and probably could could convince a lot of folks this idea that for decades this funding has been yeah. funneled uh in 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 droves you know mm -hmm. to policing right yeah. and what has it done for us how has mm -hmm. it served us right and i think we've i think the the evidence is um you know is there uh, yeah. to see that it is not serving us. So I love that. But I also love the context that you set and that they set here around sort of um, that we stand on the shoulders of folks who have come before us and yeah. have done this work. Absolutely. That's great. That's great application. Um, all right. From application, we move to homework, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I want to acknowledge that I only read this yesterday and sort of processed this piece yesterday under some uh, tight time constraints. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to dive into um, everything that was in it and particularly some of the ballot measures that were discussed. So, you know, we talked, we've talked about question two and question three a lot, particularly like for me, question three in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, um, which, you know, passed and allowed for a cap to be put on rent increases in that city. Um, as one example, the other example that I hadn't heard of actually was proposition a on Austin's November ballot, um, to expand their police force. And that ultimately failed. Right. Um, so I hadn't heard of that before, uh, but I think like with so many of the great things we've had here on the table, there were links about each of yeah. these ballot measures uh, to articles about them to learn more. And so um, I want to click on those links, do some more research about all the ballot measures that were linked in this piece to learn more about them. Certainly because uh, I'm curious uh, and just needed more time, uh, but more so to, I think, have a sense of the kinds of progressive measures like question three that are that are out there to see sort of, you know, what I can learn from them uh, to hopefully be an advocate for some of that similar kind of work and similar kinds of public safety um, and abolitionist measures really and strategies here where where we are right in mm. this area. And so um, I just kind of want to 
do that research and revisit this piece in in general. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Um, I think my homework ties to my application here. Okay. Love that. Yeah. Continue to learn about the black radical tradition. So, you know, reading about the folks on top of my head, like Ida B. Wells, Dubois, King, yeah. Malcolm X, that's, that's the homework. Mm-hmm. Um, I think getting grounded in radical organizing traditions that come before us is hugely important to guide how we continue to learn and act. Um, you know, so other things, uh, like learning about IWW, uh, International Workers of the World, yeah, um, and you know other labor pieces, um, housing justice work that's been happening for a long time, all that stuff. Like, wh- what are all these things? What what are the traditions? Yes, and and what's the the work that people have done before, and how's that tied into the work that people are doing now? Absolutely. Right? And we talked about lessons, right? So, what yeah. lessons can we take that can apply right now? Absolutely. Yeah. And that ties actually makes me think of that of Asha Taylor's Remake the World yeah. because we don't um that's one of the things that I believe she named that we don't do effectively is pass on these organizing um traditions to like n- new generations. Yeah. Um because sometimes there's a, a disconnect where like the work doesn't continue for a little bit or it continues in smaller pockets of yep. people then. And so movements ebb and flow. Yeah. Right. And so you have a, a big group of people in one generation and that, uh, that the, it, it's not as big the next generation right. and then it grows again yep. and there aren't as many people from the previous generation to tell okay. the next generation. Right. So I think that's a piece of how do we, um, on the left as make sure that those traditions are, are, that are grounded in organizing are, are passed along and, and continued and shared. I love that. Absolutely. All right, my friend, you're up next week. Yeah. So what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I do not think we brought anything like this. Oh, before. Okay. So it's a little bit different maybe. Yeah. So what you got? Although at the same time, it's maybe not because this was a panel discussion, just in article form. So I'm going to bring a panel discussion in event form. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. From Haymarket Books, based yes. on the recently published book, Abolition Feminism Now. The panel is moderated by uh, Miriam Kaba, the one and only, uh, and features authors of that book, Abolition Feminism Now, which was just published last week, the week before. Yeah. Recently. Um, those authors are Angela Davis, Gina Dent, Erica Mainers, uh, and Beth Ritchie. Yes. Uh, and so it should be a great discussion about feminism and how it's tied to abolition and the history of those interwoven political movements. Uh, and this is pulled from the event description, uh, amplifying the analysis and the theories of change generated from vibrant community-based organizing abolition feminism. Now surfaces necessary, necessary historical genealogies, key internationalist learnings and everyday practices to grow our collective and flourishing present and futures. So I'm bringing my application. I'm bringing my homework yeah. and I'm bringing it right into next week with this event well uh gold star for you thank you yeah <laughs> i i just tied all those things together sure that i was like doing it, like that it was all happening i yeah. just realized as i read that i was like oh yeah i just talked about these if, things if in, this, in a more uh generic way yeah yeah if this was a uh, a visual podcast folks you all could have seen the smile on his face he's very proud of himself like, and i'm hey, proud of you look, look uh, that that was brilliant <laughs> yeah. absolutely uh I'm super excited for this. Uh, Aaron sent this to me a while back and said, and registered us for it and said, we're going to watch this. And I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, so we got to get together. I mean, we can have a beer yep. and we can watch this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think there's going to be so much to learn from, from the, I, 
I'm so excited. I'm glad yeah. you're bringing this to the table for us. Absolutely. Me too. Awesome. All right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what we want you to do, but in case you've forgotten, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with every single person you know in your life. All uh, of them. All of them. Follow us on social media. Check us out on our YouTube page. Uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. There's lots of ways to connect with us, and we are so thankful to have you. Yes. Thank you for listening. Remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>